I want to start by um, asking you a, a sort of big question that I like to ask sometimes. What matters to you? If I just answer off the top of my head, everything, everything matters. <laughs> I like that. To me. Now, I don't know if that's a positive or negative quality. <laughs> <laughs> but well i guess what matters to me really is um peace individual peace and peace in the world and, and that's what matters to me mm. i'd like to see a peaceful world um so in terms of your individual peace like these these days in your life, is there are there certain things that you're connecting to that are helping you be more peaceful that are present in your life? Uh, oh yeah, um, they're not any different really from what I've been doing for the last forty years, which uh, is practicing um, the integral yoga teachings really. Uh, the philosophy and also the physical practice practices, I should say, like pranayama and hatha. Um, of course, I don't do as much hatha as I did many years ago. Um, in March, I was 80 years old, so the body is not as uh, supple as it was before, but deep relaxation, especially yoga nidra. So now I have um, at least at this point, um, a bit more time than I had before because I haven't been working full time lately. So I do a lot of deep relaxation and I use Gurudev's tape uh, CD and um, I do that every day. I love it. And it, it's just uh, so blissful and uh, it really helps to feel peaceful and, um, you know, like basically that's it, you know, pranayama is so helpful. And of course, meditation, I just love yoga nidra, deep mm. relaxation, um, because you're relaxing the body as well as the mind and the spirit. So yeah, I guess then constant self-analysis too. I love yana yoga, um, constant self-analysis. Feel Say, uh, the constant self-analysis um so would you say you know you have a, a deep interest in kind of figuring out how you work like what your own tendencies are so like during the day being aware of your thoughts so i'm having that that thought again um and then as you get to know yourself more and become more aware do you find that there's a next step into implementing some change that's going to be beneficial for you? Yes, of course. Um, I think that's a lifelong, if not a lives-long process. Um, I can't see how, if you're interested in growing spiritually or psychologically too, and even intellectually, how um, how you wouldn't. Uh, Take a look at your thoughts and your actions, and um, and 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 see how you can improve yourself if you find some 
negative habit, which we all have. Um, and also, I think probably just as important is considering other people's uh, other people's thoughts about your behavior as well, or reactions, especially reactions to behavior. And it's a difficult process um, because sometimes the mind will say, well, uh, that person's perspective or that person has an issue with me, so forth, so on. But I think you know, even if that might be true, it's really worth, it's so valuable to consider that person's reaction and how you reacted to it. I think that's very important. You can learn so much about yourself. I used to be more interested in learning about others <laughs> and analyzing others' behavior towards me or to, towards anyone else. And 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 that's uh, sometimes fun to do and takes it really takes you away from working on yourself. But it seems like uh, it used to be very easy to do that for me. Oh, I'm very interested in people. Um, so, but I, I also think it's more important now. It feels more important to look at myself and, you know, and I, I don't want to be self-involved in the sense that, um, you know, you become obsessive, but, uh, to really consider my actions and my reactions. And it's not an easy process. It's not mm. an easy process to be honest with yourself, especially. Mm. Is it more practical as well, though, to, to be focused on yourself? Because that's what I have direct control of. So just on a very practical level, like I can't control anyone else. So to be so invested in yeah. what other people are doing and what they're like, yeah. <laughs> at least for myself, I could say that that's uh, caused great frustration. So even though I might frustrate myself and there's certain habits and ways of being that I have that that maybe I'd prefer to be different at least there's something there that I can work work on because I have direct control over it. Of course, of course. But somehow, if you have a good imagination, <laughs> I'm a writer also, so I know you are. Um, it's a lot of fun to look at other people <laughs> and try to figure out their motivations and so forth. And sometimes, actually, that's practical, too, because... Um, Sometimes you, you know, you would like to know something about other people and it helps you uh, be, become sensitive to them, too. You know, in that sense, it could be positive. But, yeah, of course, it's 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 more fruitful to be looking at yourself and seeing how you can transform. And uh, and it's not it's not easy self-transformation. I mean, I think it. Frankly, it takes lifetimes. At least maybe I'm speaking for myself. I've seen some transformations in myself, but I really want to be honest. I want to be honest. You were asking the question before, what matters to me? Truthfulness matters to me too. And I think that's uh, satyam, you know, it's called in, in Sanskrit. It's, it's not easy to be honest, uh, especially with yourself. Um, sometimes you feel self-protective. Uh, it's the ego, you know, it's the ego. But um, I think that goes along 
with being, uh, with a process of self-analysis and also with feeling peaceful. How could you really feel peaceful if you're not honest? Because there's always a part of you that knows right. something's imbalanced there. What, yeah. what is it? But it's a process of self-discovery. Yeah. Yeah, the, I, I feel the truthfulness is is really really important, especially maybe in relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious if you know if you received messages, if you can remember being a child to mm, portray yourself in a certain way that, like, when you go out in public, you know, we don't say maybe the same things that we do at home, right? Or um, this desire to Im- impress other people or have them, you know, kind of control how they view me in a way, as opposed to an attitude of, of, I'm just going to be me and I get to be me anywhere that I am. If I'm in public or I'm I'm at home, that doesn't mean I'm going to do the same thing, but I don't need to, basically, I think like the word I'm kind of moving around is phony. Like what is, what is inauthentic, you know? Um, Is that something that you've worked on yourself and I'm curious just in in terms of your childhood like did you ever receive messages that it wasn't okay to be authentic and then now maybe you've returned back to that place of 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 no no I I can be authentic and it's really important for me to to be so that's a great question I I never thought about it actually (laughs) um like that but um I did think about it in relation to uh being a woman and the expected behavior of women. And especially when I was growing up, it's I think it's freer now. And you know I think women can be can really express their personalities and their being in a more full way. And it's acceptable. When I was growing up, yeah, you know, you had to be a quote unquote lady <laughs> um and 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 sit a certain way your legs crossed or uh you know not uh there were just certain certain expectations of what it was to be uh a girl um couldn't you couldn't be wild if you felt like being wild especially in company you know had to be more discreet and yeah it's true I uh that felt rigid to me because that uh you could feel the restraints you know you could feel the restraints even though maybe intellectually you couldn't figure it all out but but I used to wish I was a boy I remember because I saw that they had more leeway they didn't have the same, they probably had, there were other expectations, but at the time, you know, those expectations didn't seem to be there. Uh, if, if a girl was uh, acting up, at least what was considered acting up or, you know, running around and not sitting quietly and primly in company, then, then, then that behavior was a negative behavior and you'd be spoken to. And whereas the boys can do that and everybody laughed and would say, oh, you know, he's mischievous or something like that. So I do, I do remember that. So I grew up with those kinds of expectations and actually some resentment 
too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it really, um, really, uh, somehow, yeah, you, you, you feel that, you know, sometimes it doesn't manifest directly and, uh, you have to deal with those feelings and figure them out. Um, so yeah, uh, I think in a certain way we are always, um, we're always acting a little bit, you mm. know, and, and I, and sometimes that's not such a bad thing, you know, uh, because sometimes you don't feel like being discreet, but discretion is called for. And that's what I like about our grandpa guru, Swami Shivananda's teaching of adapt, adjust and accommodate, because sometimes you do have to accommodate to certain situations. So, so that's, I think, a positive aspect of, um, of that situation. But, um, yeah, but being a phony, um, that rubs me the wrong way <laughs> when I think I'm being phony. And sometimes that you do see it in others. And, um, yeah, but maybe that's a judgment too. Mm. You know, what's behind that behavior? I would like to ask. Right. It, it seems that it's possible to adjust and accommodate without losing authenticity at the same time, though. I'm trying to think of of time where I felt I I, I wasn't able to adjust or accommodate, um, and I, I I couldn't still be myself. I couldn't be authentic. You know, mm-hmm. so maybe both of them can be held uh, the same at the same time. But I think what what I sense you're bringing up a little bit too is this idea of living in community and how and how to do it, mm-hmm. which I think is really tricky business sometimes. Yeah. You know, um, the way that that I consider it is is that it, it's kind of like a mixed bag. You know, mm-hmm. that there's some wonderful benefits that you receive from living in community with other people, you know, Mm -hmm. to be a part of something and, and just lots of tangible benefits. And then there's also things that you need to give up. You can't always get your own way because you're, you know, colliding with, with other people and, and how they want it to be. Um, So, you know, is it, you know, how do you, I guess, how do you personally navigate living in community and kind of um, trying to do that in as graceful way as possible? Living in community is, is, is a real challenge. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful opportunity. Of course, we all always live in community. We're living in the world, but I know what you mean, especially in, what we call in the yogic tradition or even in the Buddhist or Jain tradition, um, uh, what's called Sangha here, living in this spiritual community. Um, You know, it's exponentially different from living in a family or, or just being in a relationship. It's not that different, but it's just more amplified. Uh, So you have, excuse me, may, Many more opportunities to um, to interact and to um, to have these challenges and to have to deal with them. So, li- living in community, you know, Gurudev used to talk about Yogaville. So, here we can speak 
uh, specifically about Yogaville. I've been living here since 1986, and you've been here for several years. Um, just the way you referred to in the beginning, there are expectations for certain behavior in the family, in a relationship. There are more expectations in a way, or more people have expectations in a community. So it is really, cha it is challenging. Um, and I would say to be authentic from, from my experience, um, uh, I also was brought up in my family to appease, to be the appeaser, you know, always to want to be peaceful and, and not have a lot of conflict. And that's impossible. You know, you have to learn how to navigate that and not take it personally. So part of it is being detached, being detached in a way from your own selfish ego. I think in a community, from my experience, um, and this is what I felt that I've been doing, is I need to be true to myself. I want to be authentic. And uh, if, I, if I am in a situation uh, that doesn't feel right to me, I will express it and express why. And it's hard to do that without being emotional, you know, and that's where the practices come in, you know, learning to be more detached and being the witness, you know, and um, I don't want to sound self-righteous. It's very difficult. You know, it's very difficult to do this. Um, but this is, these are the teachings we have. So I think to be honest and take a chance that you might get some negative feedback uh, or you might get lots of negative feedback. I remember years ago, I was in a situation where I saw that somebody, um, and I just had this information that someone had does, done something that was against the rules. It was somebody um, who was volunteering here years ago. And it was very much against the rules. It had to do with alcohol. And and, uh, and there were new people, actually. They were lights or karma yogis. We didn't have the light program yet. And this person exposed these people uh, to some, some really dangerous situations. And I had heard about it. Someone told me about this in firsthand. And I thought, that's really dangerous, you know. It's not just that it breaks the rules, but it's destructive to people. Uh, it's destructive to people physically, and it could have been uh, destructive physically and also psychologically. And I thought, do I tell the administration? Well, then I sound like I'm a snitch or something, and you don't want to be a snitch. And the person who was per the perpetrator, uh, let's say, um, was a friend of mine. You know, it was a friend, uh, and um, we were close. And and I spoke to him, and he was very angry at me. And I thought he's going to keep on doing this. I know because I found out he had a real problem, and it was an addiction. So I thought about it and thought about it. Should I? Am I going to be a snitch? Nobody's going to like me because everyone likes him. Blah blah blah. And I finally decided the right thing to do was to t 
speak to the administration about it since he wouldn't. And sure enough, I did it. And he was spoken to. He wasn't kicked out or anything, but he was spoken to. He was so angry at me. Almost the whole community was angry at me. Some people stopped speaking with me. And uh, this person said to me, I loved you and I thought you loved me. And and I I thought about it and it was very difficult. And he didn't speak to me for about six months. And I got a lot of negative feedback. And in the long run, he ended up doing something that was very dangerous. He had an accident with somebody's car because of this addiction. And um, I thought to myself, it was a very difficult period. To, it was very hard to go through. I, people thought I was betraying. In my heart, I knew it was the right thing. And, and I was glad that I did it. But it's very difficult to be yourself in that mm. way. Um, yeah. And sometimes, sometimes though you're on the other end of it, you know, you may want to, it always almost seems that, that you have the opportunity to take a chance and to stand up for yourself, at least to, stand up for what you think is is right and you may not even be right in the moment you may or you may not be but you have to be courageous enough to stand up for yourself and you can do it in a kind and compassionate way of course you would want to uh, and you have to expect that not everybody is going to agree with you uh, agree with you or maybe nobody will agree with you and you have to accept that sometimes you have to accept that you need to accept <laughs> the decision of others and let it go. And that's where the detachment comes in. And the ego um, doesn't like that. But that those kinds of situations where you do have to give in sometimes for the, the larger good of a community, uh, even if you don't agree... Uh, is also a great lesson and an opportunity to use your will to um, to stand up to your own ego. <laughs> mm. uh, it, it seems like it's such art to me, like knowing when to, to maybe be courageous and step forward mm, towards change, I guess, or something different. And when to just accept, okay, this is how it is. And part of my practice is to accept. And so that's why I like to call life art <laughs> because yeah. in every situation it's, it's a bit different and what might be right in one situation is not right in another situation, right? Well, Shakespeare said it, the whole world is a stage, right? And we're yeah. the players and Gurdjieff said it all the time. Mm. It's really in the yogic philosophy you know, that the world is a stage, it's a play, and and we each have our role. And um, you have to go with your heart, you know. I think you use your head, and then you use your heart as well. And if your head can't figure it out, just meditate and listen to your heart, <laughs> and your heart will tell you what to do, even if it's not what's comfortable, because you know, 
in order to grow spiritually, to use a cliche, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. Mm. No pain, no gain, right? That's another one of our adages, uh, you know, old, old, old saying, mm. uh, no pain, no gain. So you, you have to take a chance and, um, you, you'll always learn. It's difficult in a community. Gurudev talked about Yogaville as, uh, you know, his vision of a model community to express a heaven on earth, we, that we could have heaven on earth. We could bring heaven to earth. Well, what does that mean? It, it probably means something different to everyone. You know, I, to me, you know, you think it means, oh, well, everything is so peaceful and everyone's there's so much harmony. Yes, we're striving for harmony and we're striving for peace, but it's a process. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be peaceful and everyone's going to be peaceful all the time or harmonious. That's not, I don't think that's possible on this loka, on this level um, in the world. I don't even think the world is, is meant for that. But what it is meant for is to give us the opportunity to become peaceful in ourselves. And then we exude that peace and harmony in, in all these situations. We play our role. And, 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 um, and sometimes we fail at it. Sometimes we're not so great. Some actors don't have such a great night <laughs> when they're on stage. <laughs> but it just gives you an opportunity to learn and you know, we're human, right? <laughs> yeah. I think like this compassion feels really important to me for the experience that all of us are going through. This this life thing, it's mm -hmm. it's tricky business sometimes. You know, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to ask you about that that feels sometimes the most tricky is judgments, you know, of of other people, especially. Um and, and so, you know, judging someone else is, is, feels like such a trap and such an easy thing to do. And maybe that's because, you know, it's natural in a way to, mm -hmm. to discern, you know, what's going on, what's going mm -hmm. on, what, what do I like and what do I not like, you know, about life. But, you know, this distinction between, you know, judgment and discernment that can make all, all the difference because, it feels unrealistic, at least for myself to like eliminate judgment, you know, completely. Like, right. I don't think that's going to happen, <laughs> at least for me in my mind, like my mind does. It. But if I shift a little bit towards discernment and keep the compassion there while I'm discerning, that feels like it makes a big difference. I know sometimes you, you know, very often, especially when you're in a spiritual community in that kind of environment, You'll hear people saying, um, uh, you know, speaking about judgment as though it's something negative. Well, how can you? I mean, we have judges. <laughs> we have a whole system <laughs> of judgment. How could you not have judgment? How could you not judge? It is related to discrimination and discernment, but and 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 judgment has a place. You know, there. there is a right way, a right action, and a wrong action. Um, and you and you find out yourself 
if you did a right action or you performed a wrong action, it comes back to you. You know, it does come back to you. But judging others in the sense that um, there's no uh, there's no purpose to it except maybe for gossip or to assuage your own ego for some reason. That's a different story. And I think we really know the difference. Um, but but we have a tendency to judge others when we don't want to look at ourselves. It's easier, <laughs> much easier. But you know how they always say that a lot of times when you're judging others for certain qualities that they have or actions that they take or whatever, um, it's because we see ourselves, you know, other people are like mirrors for us. I think that's what it is in a sangha or any community where you're with people all the time in a work situation, in a school. It could be anywhere, really. Of course, in a spiritual community, it's so much more intense because you're with the same people all the time. I mean, you're working with them. You're eating with them. You're, you're living with them all the time. You're socializing with them. So we have many more opportunities uh, to be judgmental in <laughs> sense judging or to be compassionate. They go hand in hand sometimes, uh, I think, uh, especially the judging part of it, because then you'll have an opportunity if you uh, really have the dedication to your own spiritual growth. If you have that commitment, you'll catch yourself at some point and say, you know, why did why did I say that? Or why did I think that? You know, why did I think that that's that person? What is what is it? that makes me react to that person's habit or um, posture or whatever it, it may be, you know. It's an ongoing process. It's, it's like self-educational, <laughs> but it takes a lot of commitment. When we had a dance camp here, we used to have the Bharatanatyam dance camp for 25 years. I, I used to teach Hatha there um, and... Uh, we learned so much from Gurudev because he came up with this kind of uh, little motto and that he, he, he shared with the dance camp students, but then he used to use it all the time for everyone in satsang and in talks. Uh, he used to call it the three Ds that these students in the dance camp uh, were developing the three Ds and they would discipline devotion and dedication. I don't remember the exact order, but di discipline, dedication, devotion, something. You needed all those three to accomplish anything in life, really. Um, so accomplishing uh, self-transformation, you need those qualities big time. <laughs> you have to remember, you have to be dedicated to the process and it helps to develop your willpower. And then, um, yeah, the judging, uh, the judgment, you know, becomes compassion. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What's the what's the flip side to not being dedicated to self transformation or growth? It's just this is the way that I am, and I'm just gonna kind of repeat the same cycles that I'm going through. And like, what is a life? like for someone who is not genuinely interested in self-improvement? 
Well, I don't know about you, but I could remember many years ago when I was young, when I was really young, and I was brought up with parents who didn't have a lot materially, um, had a bit of harsh backgrounds. My mom was an immigrant from Poland, and um, and she, she had a lot of challenges in her life. And so they were very focused on the material life, you know, on, you know, basically survival. Then when they had, you know, they were not very secure. They were insecure, so they wanted some more, some more. So we were focused a lot uh, on when I, I heard a lot about um, about material survival and, you know, insecurities around that. And I remember when I was young, I was just really interested mostly clothing and um, thinking about the future. And, um, you know, that wasn't the only thing, really, because there was always uh, there was always this this thirst to learn more, you know, and 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 to be happy, you know, and to be peaceful. But I remember uh, I thought, oh, the greatest thing in the world was to go to the theater or um, to be able to buy a beautiful dress or pair of shoes that were so gorgeous and chic and 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 looked beautiful and uh, dressed up and yeah, I didn't think very much about um, spiritual life, you know, for quite a while. But then when you start to realize that um, those things don't bring you what you're looking for ultimately, I mean, I think it's maturity, hopefully. And some people maybe don't mature to that level. I don't know of 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 thinking that uh, I and I, well, I know that's true. We see it in the world. Um, I think it's very painful. You know, uh, it must be. It must cause a lot of suffering. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe some people are just their karma takes them into this lifetime uh, where um, they're not very interested in spiritual growth and they feel content. It's possible. I don't know. I have to honestly say, I don't know. But I know for me, um, the more I, 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 it's not like I achieved that much. I, I was interested in intellectual achievement. And I went for it. And I had the dedication and the devotion and the discipline. And I went for it. And I worked very hard for that. And, um, and, and I, I got a doctorate. That's what I wanted. And then with all that, through all that process, seeing how I behaved sometimes selfishly, because only thinking of that, I was totally focused on it. And, um, you know, to the detriment sometimes of my children. And um, and I accomplished it. <laughs> and I realized Big deal. <laughs> you know, really, I had made mistakes. I looked back and I suffered for it. It was painful psychologically. It was painful that I thought, wow, I did get what I wanted. I didn't care about the material life that much at that point. I just wanted, I went from wanting material things to wanting the intellectual and, and I achieved it. And um, and I realized that that was not the most important thing in life. So that was good. The 
like Gurudev said, a mistake is a mistake. It wasn't a mistake that I had the discipline or that I got the doctorate. <laughs> I was able to use it in good ways, you know, to serve too. But um, but it, it didn't make me permanently happy, let's put it that way, or peaceful at all. <laughs> so I realized that, um, you know, it made me go deeper and deeper into searching for what would make one peaceful or at least make me peaceful uh, more and, and, and happy and content. And while you were going for it, did, did you think that it would make you like happier than you've ever been before? Once you achieved sure. that, that you would be then content. Yeah. Oh, sure. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have, ha I was passionate. Yeah. Yeah. I was passionate for it. Yeah. And then when and then I that got would involved be it. in, like you, I, I was you, say you would I achieve got, it, and then that would be it. That would be like you, you would attain, yeah. you'd reach the mountaintop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And then, look, <laughs> it wasn't that. But luckily, I did find my spiritual path. And and actually, you know, I I have to say that that for years, I got to the point, even yeah, even in my twenties, I got to the point that I was. Um, at the same time, looking for something spiritual. So I think it wasn't so cut and dry, you know, um, but there was like an inner conflict between the intellectual and the spiritual, mm. I could say. And then I realized at some point, well, it, spirituality is everything. It's an integration of everything. Um, it, it, it's not like you have to reject the material or the intellectual. You just uh, realize that each has its place and that um, acquisition is not going to make you happy permanently, that it really is um, unconditional love. That At least that's my experience now expressing unconditional love feels mm. that that would be the ultimate to me um knowing unconditional unconditional love yeah is that is that something that you you're finding that you can practice yeah <laughs> i can hmm. i can't say i can always achieve it <laughs> i can't honestly say that i don't know i don't know Sometimes it feels like it, and sometimes, you know, I'll, I don't know. I, I don't even feel now that I actually need to know. Mm. That's the other thing. I don't need to know. I just need to do what my heart tells me is the right thing to do. And I feel also now nowhere to go. Maybe it's my age or maybe it's just being in this community and being uh, with my spiritual guide. I feel like I don't need anything else but these teachings. Um, I dreamt about Gurudev this morning, being with him here at the ashram and being with him in his room. And there was no spiritual conversation there was just 
there was just being. And just what's like more you, spiritual than that? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm getting to. And thanks for leading me there is the idea of the the doing is necessary in this world. But it's not the end all and be all of our human experience. It's the being. You know, it sounds like a cliche. It is a cliche probably to say, you know, we're not human doings, we're human beings. But we do call ourselves human beings. And and being, you know, being there. Remember that movie? (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like, I I don't even know how we have gotten far from that or... You know, if if we move away from the beingness, like what what is what is that about? Because it's so Maya. <laughs> it's Maya. so it's so obvious to that being is what we're doing anyway. <laughs> Even when I think I'm doing, I'm still being. Right. It's just it, the other word that comes to mind for me is flow. Like just like mm-hmm. being in the flow of my life, and mm-hmm. like the Maya too is 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 the mind. Right. It's like the mind can come in so hard with I'm going to do this like this is this is right and it connects at least for me a lot with kind of American culture and how I was brought up you know like mm-hmm. like you set your mind to it you can do anything you want and so I'm I'm going from A to B but you know I don't necessarily care who I have to hurt in order to get to B <laughs> I'm just going to do whatever it takes to get to B um and I get that, you know, kind of embracing the power of the mind, which is an amazing thing and and being determined and that there's a beauty in that. But it also feels like I, I'm trying to avoid what the reality is. And the reality is that I'm a part of something much lar- larger than myself. And no matter how powerful my mind is, I'm still living, like you said, in community, no matter what, with a bunch of other minds. And I could never have predicted my whole life. And there's all these forces that are, uh, you know, outside of me. So can I let go and, and be in the flow and just, and, and just be, and maybe I guess a, a question to ask you is, is another thing that, that maybe prevents me from, from being is a fear that then I'm going to be lazy, that if I just be then I'm not going to reach my potential. I'm going to live a lazy life. What do you think of that? Well, you know, it's it's qualitative. You know, it has to do with attitude, really. Because, because one of the, the mottos here, the sayings that Gurudev used to share all the time, was to be easeful, peaceful, and useful. You know, all those different definitions of yoga that we have, like yoga is perfection and action. Well, it doesn't mean that you don't make a mistake. It doesn't mean, you know, you'd be so insecure and fearful if you felt like you had to live without making a mistake. That would be absurd. It just has to do with your attitude. and it, and it has to do with control of the mind. That's what it has to do with. So it doesn't mean to be lazy. It doesn't even mean 
to not to be successful or not to even want to be successful. I remember people asked that question to Gurudev. So if I'm a yogi, does it mean that I'm not interested in success or achieving? He said, on the contrary. He said, you can be the most successful. It has to do with how you deal with it. You know, are you dealing with it um, for, from a, a detached point of view that this is your role now and um, you have something to do? We do have something to do in the world. It's that double vision that he spoke about. Being, uh, in, you know, Jesus spoke about it, all the great masters, being in the world, but not of it. That's what it's about. In the world, you do, you act, you navigate the world that way, you judge some, you know, you navigate the world. You're going to be feeling sad. You're going to be feeling emotional. You're going to be feeling happy. It's going to be temporary. That's the nature of the world. The pleasure, the pain, it comes and goes. Everything comes and goes. And, and we need to learn to navigate that. And we're in it. But at the same time, we're not of it. And that's the purpose of all these yogic practices, all the spiritual practices, probably of every religion. We find ourselves in the world. And in yoga, they teach that it's only in a human body that you can experience self-realization or enlightenment or liberation. If you didn't have all these things that were um, binding you, why would you even go for liberation? <laughs> you wouldn't even think about it. So, so we're in the world, but but the all the practices and all the spiritual traditions are there to teach us that we're not of it. You know, we're larger than that. We're that, and we're more than that. God is nothing, and God is everything. Mm. So it, it's a you know, it's an awareness, an expansion of the awareness that, yes, you don't identify. I was thinking about that. I Every morning I'm going for a walk on the Lotus Road early, early in the morning. Um, and it's really like a walking meditation. And I was thinking about the I and how it's tied up with identity. I was watching, um, I was watching a, dem, um, a documentary last night about Ben-Gurion, mm. uh, former prime minister, late former prime minister of Israel. And he was such an extraordinary person. He, I didn't even know that he practiced Buddhism. And his goal was to stand on his head. <laughs> he must have been in his 70s and he accomplished it. He was so happy. But he talked about it. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was listening to my guru. He said, um, what makes life so difficult for us is selfishness, he said, and that has to do with the I. And he said it, I, 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 always identifying with the I. He said it, the same thing that we learn in yoga, constantly identifying with the I, looking at, it's not like you're not an I, but you're an I in the larger I. <laughs> 
in that call it cosmic consciousness or God or whatever. Um, you know, the universal I is there. So we're part of that, you know. But if you only identify, and it's the double vision, if you only identify with a little I, or, you know, ha- however you want to put it, it's not like you want to negate it, but if you de- if you identify, identify, identify with any of these roles, it causes pain because they're not the whole truth. They're only part of the reality and not the reality. But if you also think you have a vision of the whole and keep that vision, and how? How do you keep that vision? To me, it's the inspiration I get from the spiritual masters, the enlightened masters from any tradition and all traditions who I see have accomplished that. And you can you can feel it. Even if you're not in their physical presence, just read about their lives of these um, these holy people. And I think to myself, they had trials and tribulations. They made mistakes. They were in the world. Some had families. Some didn't. But they all achieved permanent peace, these people. So I know it can be done. I know done. I said (laughs) it's something to do, you know, while we're in this body. But I also know that it's a grace. You know, that you, you do. You do whatever it takes, whatever you think it takes to um to grow spiritually and then i just find at some point you just let go and you just you let go and you watch it <laughs> you observe and is that where the unconditional love is when you let go do you feel that i believe so cuz there's no more tension I think that love, unconditional love in that state, there's no tension. Um, I remember, um, we have a friend, Paul Oko, who's a Chinese herbalist and um, massage therapist, and he told me once that um, Gurudev would come for a massage sometimes and he said to me I Gurudev was already in his old age and Paul said to me you know Kumari he said it's really amazing he said you know Gurudev looks his age um, but the quality of his body he said on a deep level is like somebody 20 Five years old, there's no tension, he said. There's no tension. He said, I give him a massage. <laughs> yeah, we have knots. He said, there's no tension there. And I know that that exists. Uh, that state exists. I have faith. It, it is a matter of faith. But that also seems to come with the effort. That's where the doing comes. You have to choose what you want to do. Mm. You know, 
yes, if you're in life and you have a family, you start with the family, you start with the relationship, you start with the community, and you do, and you do more and more of that, more and more of what you can do that's selfless. That's the attitude. You know, why am I wanting to accomplish this? Is it just for me? Is because I identify with accomplishing it, becoming a great this or a great that? Or is it because I have something to offer? The Dharma is to fulfill your potential. But to do it in the right, for the right reasons. Right. That's where like the slowing down, I think, comes into play for me, perhaps for others. So if I can slow down enough to just ask the question, what makes sense for my life to do with my time? And I think maybe we all come to the same answer of sorts, and that is to be of service. Like right. Nothing else makes sense. Like, why am I improving myself, working on myself, getting these things, doing like for for what purpose? Just just to have it? That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if we really stop and think about service serving selflessly i think we have to admit to ourselves that we get the greatest peace in doing that and the greatest fulfillment if you want to call it that because it seems i bet just because even on every level we know that this is the right thing to do i think so too i would actually love more of that conversation around because it can be quite confusing around selfless and selfish and right because they're so mm-hmm. intertwined because if i if there was an opportunity to help someone in a moment and without thinking i just take it because it feels right and i i do that and then if i stop after that's over and just notice how my heart feels mm-hmm. You know, that was good for me to do something good for someone else. That was good for me to do something good for someone else. And I think it's okay to say it and to know it. And actually, I think the, for my life personally, the more I've recognized that to be the case, probably the more good deeds I've done, knowing that this is how it works and being okay with it. Can you imagine being in a state where that's all you do? (laughs) 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 That's the heaven on earth. I I mean, we have a great opportunity here to practice that, don't we? Because there aren't too many places you can go. We're not. (laughs) But even even in the city, even in New York, um, you know, the New York Integral Yoga Institute, I remember I used to teach there a lot. and I'm from New York, and I remember some one time Gurudev was visiting. He must have been giving talks or something, and he would he he stayed there. He would stay at the IYI, and uh, we had a little impromptu satsang at one night with him. There were just a few people, like maybe ten people, and somebody asked him, Gurudev, do you think that in a place like New York City, um, you could be f- spiritual one can be spiritual and Gurudev said 
where else would you be spiritual? <laughs> and I thought that was the greatest. I never forgot it. It was so many years ago. It was just the greatest answer, you know, because here, uh, you know, it's even more difficult there in certain ways, more temptations. You have to really develop the discipline, right? And the dedication and the devotion to your growth because there, you know, you don't, you feel upset or something, you just go to a cafe, you go to a restaurant, you go, there's always some place to go. And here at, at the ashram, where do you go? You know, sometimes you could find your little way to the Mandala Cafe, <laughs> you know, and that's good too. <laughs> but, um, but really, in general, you know, here we are, we're kind of isolated, really. And, um, but then we're also the world, it's a microcosm. You know, that story that Gurudev used to tell about the Swami going into a cave because he wanted to uh, overcome anger. He wanted to overcome his anger. So he uh, decided to go into a cave, isolate himself completely, no interaction whatsoever for as long as it took. He went in the cave and he had his food brought to him, left outside the cave door, maybe it was a hut, you know, and left it outside and picked up and he didn't see anybody. And it took 10 years, he felt he was there for 10 years. He had finally achieved his goal. He overcame his anger. It was time to go out into the world because he was completely over anger. And he goes out of his hut or cave and uh, he encounters uh, another Swami. A monk was walking by and said, oh, wow, you're out of your cave, Swamiji. So you did it. Did you finally overcome your anger? And he said, oh, yes, I overcame my anger. Really? The other Swami said, you really overcame it completely? Yes, yes, I will never be angry again. I overcame my anger. My mind is in total control. He said, wow, I can't believe it. You really, really overcame it <laughs> under any circumstances? And the Swami said, you fool, what's wrong with you? I've been telling you for the last five minutes, I don't get angry anymore. And then he stops and looks and he runs away and doesn't come back. So, you know, we always used to laugh at that. But the point is, if you don't test yourself out in the world, really, you can tell yourself anything, you know, and very peaceful, usually. <laughs> can be sometimes it's not so peaceful to isolate yourself and be with your own mind either <laughs> but you know what the point is yeah <laughs> reverend kamari thank you so much and thank you for oh, being such a, a steady presence in in this community it's really meant meant a lot to me and yeah i love hearing you talk about unconditional love and your experiences and yeah thank you for being the person that you are Thank you so much. And the same with you. Thanks for being here and staying and getting to know you and your beautiful family. And mm. thank you so much for having me. Mm. Om Shanti. Om Shanti. Hari Om. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.